wanted coffee, that's all. <laughs> hey, I encourage you to do something, and, and I was able to do that during uh, that great song. Um, is this, this Christmas, as you listen to these songs, and, and, and like me, I, I got to confess, I'm, I'm, I'm not a Shimoleski. I, 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 it's hard for me to get into Christmas at first, but okay, we got snow now, it's December, you know, I can do it now. This starting Christmas carols, November 1st, is a little bit, I, I, you know, I don't, I gotta, I can't, that's too much of a ramp up for me. I, you know, I need a little bit less time. So, but I'm starting now to listen to some of the Christmas carols. And I encourage you, I encourage you to listen to the words of the Christmas carols. When I came to faith in Jesus Christ as a freshman over at the University of Minnesota, that next Christmas, I could not, and actually a bunch of my, uh, former beer-drinking buddies like to, uh, this is something we did in high school, we used to go Christmas caroling. we get a little lubed up, and we go Christmas caroling. <laughs> and this time, uh, I, I wasn't lubed up, and I just went and went Christmas caroling. Oh, you're the best. May God bless you with many, many children. Um, <laughs> I went Christmas caroling with all these buddies of mine who, who weren't followers of Christ, and, and I we just like to go door to door singing Christmas carols. It's just like the funnest thing to do. And I like listen to the words. And this particular one where it just says, fall on your knees. And it's, it's high, you know, for those of us who are tenors, it's real high. And, and I think of that and I think of just not, not, you don't fall on your knees because someone says, go to your knees. You fall on your knees just based out of awe. And the last time I fell on my knees was uh, in 1980. Eight when I asked my wife to marry me. And I went for, it was very cold. We did it outside. I was at a, at a park where we had had our, our DTR, the define the relationship talk, <laughs> that, that took an hour and a half to basically say, I kind of like you. Do you kind of like me? That took an hour and a half. And it was March. It was freezing. I had not dressed appropriately. I went to go on one knee and ended up on both and almost ended up in the snow. But I was in awe of what was taking place at that moment. And that's what this song is saying. Fall on your knees because something awesome is happening. So I hope this Christmas season for you is a time when you can do that. You can look at the Christmas carols and sing them with maybe a renewed aspect of what they are. This morning, before we get going, I want to do a little, little quiz. Uh, you won't be graded on this. I want to give you a little mysterious quiz that I've come across that actually has, I'm not just doing this to do it, but I'm doing it because it actually does have a point. So, uh, now I have some rules here. First rule is, shut up. If you know the answer to this, you can't talk, all right? No, you can't talk, period, all right? This is my turn to talk, you shut up. Second rule, <laughs> second rule is, you have to go, you have to go with the first thing that comes to your mind. No smart Alex here, the first thing that comes to your mind is what you have to go with. You cannot change it. Got it? Rules? Simple? Okay. And, and for those of you who are, who are bad at things, I'll help, I'll help you go along. Okay, here's, here's the, here's the uh, direction. So the little quiz. Think of a number, any number, between 1 and 10. Don't say it out loud, though. Don't say it out loud. That would be breaking rule number 1. Okay, got it? Got a number? 1, one to 10. Okay, multiply that number that you have in your head by 9. Doesn't matter what the number is, just multiply it by nine. Now, for some of you, I know this is you're gonna have to take up your shoes and stockings here to count that high. Try to multiply that number by 10. Anybody need help on the multiplying any number by 10? We're all good? By nine, excuse me, nine, nine, very bad. 
will not work at 10. Okay, so uh, zero, or one to 10 multiplied by nine. Now, what I want you to do is if that number is a two digit number, for most of you in the room it will be a two digit number, I want you to add the two digits together. So if you picked four, for instance, you multiplied it by nine, that'd be 36, and you just add the, the three and the six, okay? You got it? Got a number? Now I want you to take that number, and I want you to subtract five from that number. You got it? Subtract five from the new number that you got. Everybody, everybody on board? Okay, good. Now, I want you to think of that number that you have, whatever the number is, and I want you to think about it, its corresponding letter to the alphabet. For instance, one would be A, two would be B, three would be C, four would be D, five would be E, six would be F, and so on. Okay, you got it? Everybody's got it? Yeah, okay. Now, I want you to think of uh, that letter, and I want you to quickly think of a country that starts with that letter. Everybody got a country that starts with that letter? Think, think, country, any country, it doesn't matter. Got a country? Good. Now, I want you to think of the last letter of that country that you have. You got, you got a country, the last letter of that word in that country, I want you to think of that last letter, and I want you to think of an animal. Quickly, think of an animal. Starts with that letter. All right, now I want you to think of the last letter of that animal. You got a country, you got a last letter. That, that last letter, you think of an animal. All right, now that animal, you think of its last letter, I want you to think of a fruit, any fruit. You got it? You got some country, last letter, think of an animal. You got an animal, last letter, think of a fruit. You got it? Anybody need more instructions? All right, 98% of you in this room right now are thinking about, go ahead. <clears throat> Statistically, 98% of you will think of that. There are 2%, anybody gets something different that hasn't heard this before? Really? Okay, that's, that's a little higher. We have, we, we're, we're statistically high, of course. Like Lake Wobegon, this church is above average in, in everything. So, um, very good. Now, you're all going, wow, that is amazing. That is amazing. How did he do that? How did he do that? That is, that is just amazing. Well, the first trick, if anyone, let's just analyze this for a second. First trick is I told you to pick a number between 1 and, and 10 and multiply it by 9. What do I know for sure of any number multiplied by 9 that the two digits are going to do what? They are going to add up to 9. I know that for certain. So you're, no matter what you chose, you, you got 5. If you did it right, you got 5. After, for, excuse me. Well, no, no, no. <laughs> chill, chill. You got 5 and then I, oh wait, you got 9. Excuse me. <laughs> then I told you to take away 5, right, right. And then, and then you're right and I'm wrong. Uh, and then you get to 4, so I know you got to D. According to the, the uh, CIA World Factbook, there are only four countries with the letter D. Denmark, Djibouti, <laughs> Dominica, and the Dominican Republic. Now, did anybody choose the Dominican Republic? Okay, I might have still got you, because if you can't spell, Republic could be a K. So, we'd still get the kangaroo thing. All right. So if you chose Dominican Republic, good for you. Uh, you're, you're one of the very, very few. 
Okay, from there, cake, you could choose koala bear. Anybody choose koala bear? Yeah, there are, that's, the, that's the thing that's possible. But most people would choose kangaroo, and then you get to O, and name another fruit that starts with O. Anybody have another fruit? Okay, so it's, it sounds amazing, and it was. I remember when I first took this a few years ago on email, you know, they, they give you a line, then you scroll down, then another thing, another thing, another thing, and they say, you're thinking of a, of a, a kangaroo eating an orange in Denmark, and I'm like, oh my goodness, how'd you do that? <laughs> Everybody loves a mystery. Everybody loves a mystery. There's just something about it that, that, even when I first told you this, oh, and I forgot one other rule. Can't tell second service about this because I don't have another one of these. So, ixnay on the ekin service bay, whatever. Uh, don't, don't tell them. <laughs> Everybody loves a mystery. Everybody loves a trick. In fact, a good magician never reveals how he does a trick because why? Because once you know how it works, it's, oh, okay. No big deal. It loses its shock value. It's like, oh, yeah, okay, that's not really a very big deal then. Okay, he got me, tricked me on the nine thing, and oh, shoot, that is no big deal. Everybody loves a mystery. And yet usually when you're done with the mystery and you figured it out, you figured out the trick or you figured it out, there's a disappointment. I remember when I was a kid and we'd have Christmas, and there'd be, I was an only kid, brat, whatever. And I was the only one to get kid gifts in with all of my extended family, you know, the only one, because I'm an only kid. And so a Christmas morning uh, by, you know, 1970 standards, not according to 1990 or 2000 standards, there were a lot of gifts. Now there's, but there were, seemed to be a lot of gifts. And I remember Christmas Eve, <gasps> you know, shake it, what's this, ha, 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 ha. And, and even though you'd given a list and all these different things, always by the time we ate lunch on Christmas morning, there was a feeling in my stomach of emptiness, like it's over. And I remember the best Christmas as far as, you know, cashing in that I'd ever gotten. Let's face it, as a kid, you got two paydays, right? Birthday and Christmas. You cannot waste them. You got two. <laughs> so you plan carefully. I mean, my kids now are typing out their lists in October. I mean, they're, they're doing the move, the, the scan, and I don't blame them. They got two paydays, right? Christmas and your birthday. And my son's birthday is December 26th, so he's really got to work it, you know? <laughs> and I remember feeling, after this big payday, I got in about everything that I ever wanted. We got a pool table, and my dad had been telling me, oh, we'll never have a pool table. Basement's not too, it's too small. I was, okay, okay. And son of a gun, there it was. That year, I remember being feeling the lowest I'd ever felt. There's a feeling of a sense of disappointment. This morning, I want to show you a mystery in the scriptures that I believe that once you figure out, or at least you know the answer to the mystery, it actually doesn't disappoint you. It leaves you more in awe. Now, we're in a series right now in the book of John. Uh, don't open there, though, because we're barely going to get there. Uh, we're in a series right now in the first 18 verses of the book of John. We'll finish up next week with, with verse 18, and so we'll be done. It, it, it took us 10 weeks to get through it. I bet you it took us longer to go through it than it took John to write it. But that's okay. That's okay. I'm, we're from the, I'm from the Iron Range, and it, we're a little slow. So uh, we're going through the first 18 verses, and then we're going to move along. Starting uh, in January, we're going to basically take, like we did through the book of Acts, kind of one big chunk at a time and, and work our way through the book of John. Uh, 
we are right now looking at the very last part of what is called the introduction, or some people call it the prologue to the book of John, the first 18 verses. And we're looking at verses 14 to 18. So if you're, if you're brand new here this week, you really haven't missed much. You just read the first uh, 18 verses and pff, you're just like the rest of us. No big deal. Now, in order to set this up, though, in order to understand what verses 14 to 18 are kind of revealing, I got to take you to the Old Testament. So the Old Testament is the part before the New Testament. And I want to go to the second book of the Bible, Exodus. And I want to, want to look at uh, chapter, start in chapter 33. And I'm taking you through this big story that happens with Moses. Because Moses is going to be brought up here. Charlton Heston, Moses, whole thing. Go through the, the part of the Red Sea, that whole thing. I actually went through that in Universal Studios. You can, have you ever done that? Through Universal Studios, you go through the actual Red Sea. Anybody? It's like about this big. It's, it, it, they drive a little car through it. It's like... Ah, how did they get all those people through there, you know? I digress. The, if you, if you uh, want to follow along, open your Bible up to Exodus chapter 33. And, or you can follow along on that insert. It's really tiny print there. So uh, just because this is about a chapter worth of, of uh, the story of what's happening with Exodus excuse me, with Moses and his relationship with God. Just to let you know where this is, this is after the people of Israel have left Egypt. They're out of slavery now. And, and Moses, they're out in the, in, in the wilderness, not yet being uh, cast out, like they're going to be later because of disobedience. But for right now, Moses is meeting with God on a, on a private basis, and his relationship with God is tight. You're going to see it right here in the very beginning of this. His relationship with God is very tight. And this whole thing, this whole thing I'm going to talk about before we get to John, is basically setting up this big mystery, the setup of this big mystery. So let's take a look at this. We're going to start in Exodus chapter 33. We're going to start in verse 7. It says, Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp, some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents and, and uh, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud, think of this now, would come down and stay at the entrance. So Moses would go in there and this cloud would come down. Whew, there it is. While the Lord spoke with Moses, when the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance to his tent. So anytime Moses goes out to hang in the tent, this cloud would come down and everyone could just tell, whoa, Moses is doing business with God. And they'd all stand at their, uh, their tents and they'd look at it and go, whoa, there's a meeting going on there. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. Wow, that's amazing. Then Moses would return to his camp, to the camp, but his young assistant Joshua, son of Nun, uh, N-U-N, not son of Nun, like he didn't have any parents, did not leave the tent. All right, so that's the kind of relationship that Moses had with God. They would talk like they were face to face. Verse 12, Moses, in one of these meetings now, Moses says to the Lord, you've been telling me, lead these people, but you've not uh, let me know whom you will send with me. You've said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. 
If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. Now, Moses at this time, some scholars say that this group that he was with was about 2 million people. We don't know exactly, of course, but it was a lot of people. And Moses is saying, okay, you know, I was a shepherd out in the, you know, 40 years and, you know, uh, managing 2 million people. Let's just make one thing clear there, God. These are your people, not my people, and you haven't told me who's going to come and give me a hand. Look at God's answer to that. God says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Now, that's not what Moses asked for, right? He says, I, well, God, you're awesome. You're great. I just need some help here. And God says, Moses, I'm coming with you. I will go with you. My presence will be with you. At that moment, I believe Moses has a bit of a freak out moment because the next thing he says is, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. Wait a minute. Nobody was talking about you not coming. I just assumed you were. Okay, I want other people, but whoa, back up. If you're not coming, we're not going. I'm not going. No, no, no way. How will, how will anyone know that you are pleased with me and, and, and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you asked. Because I'm pleased with you, and I know you by name. Then Moses said, and this is a great, he asked God for something amazing. He says, now show me your glory. That's a gutsy thing to ask. I have met with you face to face. The cloud thing, that's cool. But I've tasted the cloud thing, and I want more. I want to see the whole thing. I want to see the fireworks show. Show me your glory. Show me the glory. <laughs> and the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness. Okay, Moses, you can't handle all the glory. You go, Poof, if all you see all the glory. But I will let you see my goodness to pass in front of you. And I'll proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I'll have mercy on whom I have mercy and I'll have compassion on whom I have compassion. But... You cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, There's a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I'll put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I've passed by. Then I'll remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. You can't see the whole show here, Moses. Verse, uh, chapter 34, The Lord said to Moses, Chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones. That's a little bit of a slam, saying, I already done this once, Moses. You used them, remember, on the people. You threw them down. Anyway, chisel two more, and I'll write on them the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke, just in case you didn't remember. You broke those? Okay. <laughs> Be ready in the morning, and then come up to Mount Sinai. Present yourself to me there on top of the mountain. No one is to come up with you or be seen anywhere on the mountain, not even the flocks or herds may, may graze in front of the mountain. No one's to come to the base of this mountain, Moses. It's just you and me, and we are literally going to have a mountaintop experience up here. So Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones and went up Mount Sinai early in the morning. Remember, Moses is around 80 years old this time as the Lord had commanded him, and he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. Then the Lord came down in the cloud 
and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord. And here he says, I will, I will proclaim my name to you. And name doesn't mean just, you know, Frank. It means, who are you? What's your character? And God is going to tell his character to Moses. Here it is. The compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of their fathers to the third and fourth generation. Moses bowed to the ground at once and worshiped. Oh Lord, if I have found favor in your eyes, he said, then let the Lord go with us. Remember, that's the thing he fears most. Forget helpers. Uh, now I'm thinking, God, you're enough. But God had to convince him of that. Although this is a stiff-necked people, forgive our wickedness and our sin and take us as your inheritance. Then the Lord said, I am making a covenant with you. Before all your people, I will do wonders never before, in, never done before in any, no, excuse me, never before done in any nation in all the world. The people you live among will see how awesome is the work that I, the Lord, will do for you. Then the Lord said, I am making a covenant with you before all, oh, that's a typo, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. Uh, Exodus 33, it's supposed to be verses, uh, I'll have to fix that. It's supposed to say, um, we're starting in verse 11, right? Obey what I command you today. I will drive out before you the Amorites, Canaanites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. That's what's going to happen. And he's what, from that point on, I don't know if I got it right on this one, I did. Um, from that point on, God is going to lay out in the rest of the book of Exodus and in Leviticus and even some in the book of Numbers this law or all these rules, all these regulations about proper way to live in community with one another, proper ways to, to live in community with other nations, and most importantly, how do you relate to God? He's going to lay out all these regulations, and it's called the law. Just simply, it's called the law. Now, the big mystery is this. That was awesome. Right? That's actually one of my favorite passages in the Old Testament of God revealing himself clearly, clearly to Moses. Isn't that enough? passage we're going to read today says, no, it's not enough. That that actually is just chapter one. That's just the mystery. How, what was the purpose of the Old Testament? Wasn't the Old Testament what was given to Moses on Mount Sinai, wasn't that enough? No, it wasn't. So then the question has to be, well, what was the point of that experience? What was the point of Moses? What was the point of him getting all these rules and regulations with this incredible mountaintop experience? Why did Israel live like that for 1,400 years before Christ came? What was that all about? Look at the passage we're going to look at today. John 1, um, 
I'm going to back up a little bit just so it's in the, in the right context. We, I know Chris talked about this uh, last or two weeks ago, but I just want to read it so you kind of understand the whole thing. Starting in verse 14, it says, The Word became flesh. Remember, verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Nothing that has ever been made was made that didn't go through Him. It's talking about who is this Word. It's an interesting way to start this amazing gospel, this amazing story of who Jesus is, trying to explain the, the, the life and death and resurrection of Christ in the book of John. And it starts that way. And now he's closing it off and he's going to tell you who is the word. Who is this, this word thing? It seems kind of uh, vague. Who is the word? The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. He moved into the neighborhood. We have seen his glory. Huh? We've seen his glory. Wait a minute, I thought you couldn't see the glory in lip. No. In, in Christ, you get to see the glory. The glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 15, big parenthesis. There's two times in, this, in these first 18 verses that the gospel writer John talks about John the Baptist, and there are like two little parentheses on the side. It's, it, they're dove, dovetailed right in here. He's talking about John again, and he says, John testifies about him uh, concerning him. He cries out saying, this, is a, this was he of whom I spoke. He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Again, it's like, oh, cryptic, cool. John is older than Jesus, probably six months older. Also, John's public ministry started before Jesus's. Jesus's. Jesus did, whatever. The, the, the whole idea here is that John would say, I'm the first guy out, yes, but he is more important than me because he's before me. And there's a lot of ways you could take that. Probably the simplest is, is in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He always existed. Or you could just say he's before me and that he's more, he's preeminent, he's bigger. Either way, John is saying, I am just a little dog, big dog, capital B, capital D, is in the house now. End parenthesis, then we go to verse 15, 16, which says, from the fullness of his grace, the, this word's grace, we have all received one blessing after another, a grace upon grace upon grace. You get, you get, you get blessed and blessed and blessed. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God the one and only who is at the Father's side has made him known. Something happened that's higher than what happened to Moses. When Christ came on the scene, we get to see the glory. Now is it all of it? No, but it's a lot more then what Moses got to see, something more happened than Moses. Then he goes on in verse 17 here and he says, the law came through Moses. We got all these rules and regulations of ways of living that will distinguish us as a different kind of people, but something different happened when Christ came. Grace and truth came. Something more important. Paul talks about this. I'm going to list three passages about what, where, what he talks about it. He says in Romans 5, why, 
Why this law thing then? Why all these rules and regulations? Romans chapter 5, verses 20 to 21. Paul says, the law was added so that, tresp- so that the trespass, in other words, sins, might increase. Okay. You're telling me that God made more laws so that people would sin more. That's exactly what Paul's saying. That's exactly what he's saying. The law was added so that the trespass might increase. In Romans 5.20, what's happening is God is painting himself into a corner. Make sure I don't trip over something. Painting, 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 painting. Oop, there I am. Because now God has to figure a way that he can punish sin and yet be merciful. And he said, you know what? Let's make more sin. Let's make sin, more sin. And he's just standing there in the corner. There's more, 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 more sin. Why? Because he's got more, 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 more rules. The law was added so that trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. God loves to do something when the chips are completely down. You're wondering right now, if you come here today and you have a relationship with Christ, you're wondering why God never answers your prayers early. Because God loves when the clock expires and the ball's in the air. That's the way God operates. God is never late, but seldom early. He loves painting himself into a corner and letting there be no possible way for anyone to say, oh, isn't that lucky? There was no luck here. This was an awesome throw, and you just happen to be standing there going, huh? And the ball's in your hands in the, in the end zone. Cool. It's a God thing, completely. He paints himself into the corner. He talks about it in, in Galatians. Paul talks about this whole thing in Galatians, and he says, All who rely on observing the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. He's saying, in other words, okay, if you don't think we need Jesus, if you think the old system was okay, guess what? you got to follow every single rule. You miss one, you're toast. you got to do every single rule if you're going to be right with God. Oh my goodness, are you right? Is that true? Yes. Because it says, cursed is anyone who does not do everything written in the book of the law. I've been reading through the Old Testament. There's a lot of them. There's a lot of rules. Clearly, no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, the man who does these things will live by them. If you're here this morning and you want to go to heaven, flat out, you want to, the day you meet God face to face and you want to do it based on your performance, you better get busy. You've got a lot of work to do. Man, I'll like be honest with you. You already blew it, so it doesn't matter. Um... <clears throat> Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. As it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. By the way, that verse right there, that verse, uh, verse 13, cursed is everyone who hang, who's hung on a tree, would have been Paul's mantra before he was a Christian. And he was trashing Christians saying, how can you possibly say that Jesus was your, was your Lord and Savior? He went on a tree. Do you know what happens to people on a tree according to the Old Testament? They're cursed. And that's his theme verse after he becomes a Christian. Yeah, he was cursed. Guess what? He was cursed with your my sin. Ah, light bulb makes sense. 
Yes, that's awesome. And then he says, to answer the question, Paul answers the question in Galatians 4 about, well, why 1,400 years then? Verse 3 says, so also when we were children, he's speaking to his uh, children, meaning uh, in the age of time, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. But when the time had fully come, I don't know why 2,005 years ago or with the error, I don't know if that's far or five years, either way, 2,000 or 2,010 years ago that Christ came. I don't know why then, but God knows because the time had fully come. God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive the full rights of sons. Grace, excuse me, for the law was given through Moses, and that was really important. It was really important that, mountain had, or that Moses had this mountaintop experience. It was really important that he laid down rules for the whole uh, Israel nation to follow. But you know what? What that did more than anything is point to them and saying, guess what? We're, we're in, I can't do all this. I can't do all this. If you're here this morning and you're striving to, to have a relationship with God and you're striving to one day knock on heaven's door and hand him a list saying, I've done all these things, I'm as good as the next guy, I got great news for you. I got great news for you. You don't have to do that. You don't have to do that. You will never measure up. You will never measure up. If you, if you think, I'm a really, really, really good person, have you ever broken any of the commandments? If you'd like, I'll spend five minutes with you, and I guarantee I can find one of the commandments you've broken. And if not, it's pride already that you think you haven't. <laughs> so you're done. <laughs> I got great news for you. The law came through Moses. 2,000-some years ago, grace and truth came in that can set you free. Now, the beauty of this thing is it never disappoints. Verse 16 of John says this. For from the fullness of his grace, we've all received one blessing after another. I want to close. I'm sorry, I flipped these, Bill. Could you go back to that quote by F.F. Bruce? Um, I want to close this morning by reading a quote by F.F. F. Bruce. I love these guys whose names are initials. If your name was, uh, uh, what's his name again? Frederick Fivey Bruce, you'd go by F.F. too. Um, he says this. He's talking about this passage in the book of John. He says, here then, as in Paul's writings, Christ displaces the law of Moses as the focus of divine revelation and the way to life. So he's displacing the law of Moses. This gospel emphasizes in a series of presentations that the new order fulfills, surpasses, and replaces the old. The wine of the new creation is better than the water which is used in Jewish religion, John 2.10. The new temple supersedes the old, 2.9. The new birth is the gateway into a sphere of life which cannot be entered by natural birth, even natural birth into the membership of the chosen people, John 3.3 and 3.5. The living water of the Spirit which Jesus imparts is far superior both to the water and Jacob's well, and to the water which is richly poured out in the temple court at the Feast of Tabernacles. We'll see that with the Samaritan woman and when Jesus goes to the feast in John 7. The bread of heaven is, is the reality of which the manna in the wilderness, what happened with uh, uh, the people of Israel, was but an abdum, abdumbration, which means a foreshadowing. 
Moses was the mediator of the law. Jesus Christ is not only the mediator, but the embodiment of grace and truth. What God was, the Word was. Let me close by asking you a question. Is John 1.17 your theme verse? Or are you living John 1.17a? Are you living your life under the rules and regulations, even of Christianity? Are you living that way? Are you living free? Are you living the very way people did in the Old Testament? Or are you living now by grace and truth and saying, you know what, I'm not going to rely on me. That's not why I fall on my knees at Christmas carols. Christmas carol says, oh my goodness, it's not about me. It's not about my performance. It's about his performance on the cross. And it sets me free. And every day of my life, from then on, I want to follow God. It's like telling people that you have to eat ice cream sundaes. Dog on it tomorrow. You have to eat an ice cream sundae. I get to follow God. What a joy. Let's pray. God, I love this passage. I love what you've done through Moses as a foreshadowing, a beautiful foreshadowing. You are a genius, God. And I just pray, Father, that, that you would allow us in our own lives to figure out ways or to know ways by your spirit even now that we are trying to live under the old way of system, trying to please you by whatever we do, trying to make us okay in your sight because of, of our performance or feeling rotten and, and guilt-ridden without using that guilt to drive us to the cross and say, Jesus Christ will pay for that sin. I don't have to pay for it. Lord Jesus, I praise you that grace and truth came through you. I praise you that out of that, all the fullness of your grace and truth is poured out on us. It never disappoints. It keeps ramping up. The Christmas package is more exciting as we keep unwrapping it. So I pray for that, people in this room, God, that, that all of us would be set free from legalism or anything that we're trying to do to make us okay with you would be set free from that. I pray for people in this room, maybe for the first time in their life, they realize that they will not be judged uh, uh, according to, their, to what they do or don't do, and that will get them in or out of heaven. No, everyone is guilty. And that the freedom this morning is that they can know without a doubt that Jesus Christ has forgiven their sins. So I pray for people in this room, Lord God, who right now are deciding and saying, Jesus, I want to let you be my sin bearer. Lord, we're going to come to the table in a minute. And this, this uh, bread represents your body and this cup represents your blood. Every one of us needs you as a sin bearer. And so I pray, God, that every one of us would rely solely on the grace and truth that came through Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.